Paul Bunyan is staying in East Lansing. Michigan State takes down arch-rival Michigan 37-33 in one of the games of the year in college football. The Spartans are now 8-0 and firmly in the conversation for the college football playoff. It was quite the day in the state of Michigan on Saturday as the college football world converged on East Lansing. We will discuss the game, sprinkle in some basketball talk, and look ahead to the Spartans' tricky road test at suddenly surging Purdue on episode 54 of MLive's Spartan Confidential Podcast. The gang is back together again after this special episode last week. Brandon Champion, Kyle Austin, and Matt Wenzel with you on November 1st, 2021. And man, oh man, what a week it was in the mitten, guys. Uh, we'll get to the game in a second. But Matt, uh, uh, good of you to, to to let us on the podcast again. We appreciate that. But but even you had to have been excited about the game day atmosphere in East Lansing on Saturday. I mean, yeah, once I actually got to the stadium. Um, I knew you were going to start by complaining. I knew you were going to start by complaining. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, I mean, for all the hype, um, I think a lot of times those games tend to can, can you know, just flop. But it was it was absolutely fantastic game. You know, you, the, the the environment was electric, packed place. You know, you had both uh, pregame shows out there finishing up live on the field as, you know, the teams are coming in. It was, uh, I mean, it was a, a, absolutely a fantastic game. There are two games that, I, two college football games I've covered that stand out from the rest. Um, the first was 2016 Michigan and Ohio State, which was basically, you know, for, you know, spot in the, you know, that was for a, a potential playoff spot, you know, Big Ten spot, and then and then Saturday. And I think Saturday's game may have actually even been better. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, no complaints as far as the game's concerned. Um, very entertaining. There were so many things that happened. Like, you you get to, you know, it's like midnight, and you start to, you know, watch some of the replays, and you're trying to unpack some of this stuff, and you're forgetting some of these major plays in the game because it was just it was a great college football game. Kyle, I'm sure you uh, enjoyed the atmosphere and the buzz in East Lansing. I did. I mean, I go back a little bit farther than Matt. So um, the home game against Oregon was tops on my list as far as like environment, um, uh, you know, with the rankings, it was a night game, strip the stadium and all that. And I, you know, I wasn't sure I'd ever see like a home game that big again, but um, I mean, this last one topped it. I mean, they had, if you were on campus, which I'm sure Brandon, you can talk about, they had three different pregame shows going, two of which were like right by the stadium. You know, you could walk across a parking lot to each other. So tons of people just walking back and forth between those. Um, just, you know, an atmosphere like I'd never seen before. And the crowd, you know, once they got in, the students were like completely filled by kickoff, which I've never, ever seen before the student section. And really just a, a really, really amazing crowd. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, you can't draw up a college football Saturday in Michigan in late October. Better than that, you had the little drizzle in the air, you know, the the, the leaves changing colors, campus looking in prime fall, uh, wearing its prime autumn outfit, I should say. And, you know, you got the pregame shows, the fans are fired up. They were there early. They were there often. I mean, this is all a product of obviously the, the, you know, the results on the field, but Mel Tucker has just reinvigorated and brought so much excitement to the fan base. Um, after I think some apathy had started to set in at the tail end of the D'Antonio years. And um, it was just amazing to see campus buzzing and literally to be like in the place where the eyes of the, of the college football world were on it. I mean, that was the game. That was the game day was there. You had Fox, you know, Barstool on brand moving into Cedar <laughs> Village, which is just hilarious. I mean, you, you had, you had, you just had all the eyes, you had all the hype and it, and it came through and delivered. And I mean, obviously as Michigan, as a Michigan state fan, I'm thrilled. I'm pumped that Michigan state won, um, you know, but I guess more than anything, like 
even though Michigan fans are probably upset, like there's no way you can't say that Saturday wasn't a win for the state of Michigan. Yeah. I mean, you, here you go. You have two top 10 teams mean, you know, being in the top 10 when they play for the first time since 64, like I said, it was the only top 10 matchup in the country. You had all the, all the, all the hype was, was in East Lansing, which was indicative of the number of people who showed up. Some of them actually made it into the stadium. Um, yeah. I mean, it, they delivered a great game. Now you still have two teams ranked in the top 10. I mean, that's, it was definitely a win. Um, you know, I think whenever you can get the rivalry on that stage and deliver, you know, a quality, um, you know, a, a very entertaining game, it definitely helps for, uh, for both. Well, I don't think it helps Michigan to lose obviously, but uh, <laughs> it helps for uh, the, uh, the look for the big 10, you know, with having two really good teams like that. Yeah. I, I don't know how much one game changes the big picture, but it felt like the whole offseason, the end of it there, everyone's just talking about the SEC after they added um, Texas and Oklahoma and how they're far and away, you know, the biggest, the best and everything. And, you know, maybe a little bit remind bit of a reminder from big 10 country that we play some pretty good football up here too. Yeah. And then just to have Ohio state and Penn state followed up with mm-hmm. a, with a pretty solid game at night too. It was, it was a big day for the big 10. I echo those sentiments about getting to the stadium though, Matt, Holy crap. We left here at Grand Rapids, like seven, seven AM thinking we were going to beat traffic and man, were we wrong? Uh, we were just, we tried to even get sneaky and go around East Lansing and then come in the back. I mean, there was no good way to get into that city on Saturday. I think as Kyle tweeted, if you wanted to get in, you need the damn helicopter because there was just like <laughs> you, you you can get a mile away from the stadium. No problem, because I live in Lansing. It takes me uh, uh, usually 10 minutes to get there on a Saturday. And I typically leave three hours or so before the game. So I'm saying I've been leaving a little earlier with the covid year last year. There was no traffic. Um, Mel, the, his, oh, you know, his players come out in the field later than they did in Antonio. So there's there was less need. But anyways, I left at 830. It took me five minutes to get to the corner, basically the corner of Howard and Kalamazoo, right where Dagwoods is. And it, that was five minutes. It took me nine, almost 90 minutes to get the rest of the way. You know, I could have parked my car and walked blindfolded backwards to the stadium and got there quicker. There's just, there's just yeah. nowhere to go. There was just, I mean, just everybody was right there in one spot. And, and I was, Kyle, I know Kyle took a while, a lot longer to get there. Everybody I know, it took forever. Mine, mine wasn't as bad though. My, my, it, well, I guess we'll, I'll do a traffic tip here. Uh, Farm Lane. Um, I mean, everything was backed up way more than usual, but like that, that added, I think, half an hour or so to me, which sounds way better than what you got added coming from Lansing. So, um, future, you know, if, if Mel keeps us going, I have a bunch more top five games uh, in the future. That's my suggestion for the folks. Although, come after me because I don't want all you plugging up the farm lane for me. We came up farm lane. We took uh, you know the jolly exit and tried to come up that way, and still sat in traffic really? for forty five huh. minutes. Yeah, it it was nuts, man. I mean, everyone was trying to be in East Lansing. It's just the nature of the beast when you get games like this. But all right, that's enough talk about the atmosphere. Let's talk about the game, and it was a heck of a game, man. Michigan State erases a sixteen point lead in the second half to come back and and get the win in dramatic fashion on the back of Kenneth Walker, who rushes for nearly 200 yards and five touchdowns and firmly solidifies uh, his spot in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Michigan State, you know, gets gets down. We get the Andrell Anthony uh, coming out party. I mean, where do you want to start with this game, Matt? Because like you said, like there's so many different ways where we could start. Uh, I mean, yeah, you got to start with Kenneth Walker. I mean, going into the game, you know, you knew, all right, look, he's in the Heisman conversation. Um and you look at the opponents that are ahead on the schedule, starting with Michigan, you know, everybody's got a winning record. You get Penn State and Ohio State in there. But if you're going to win the Heisman, you need to perform when all the eyes are on you. You know, that's just kind of the, you know, I mean, 
Well, how many people vote for the height? I mean, it's like 800 people, you know, jerks mm-hmm. like me sitting at home, you know, people who don't, you know, you watch what you can watch while doing your job. But if you get an opportunity to see one of these guys on a major stage and they perform, that can swing the votes. And I mean, Kenneth Walker didn't disappoint. I mean, first carry, he becomes Michigan State's first thousand yard rusher since 2014. And then, you know, just I, I mean, the, the first touchdown was, was you know, what you've seen from him all year. You know, there's nowhere to run in the middle, bumps it out to the left, and it's gone. And just, I mean, it was just an incredible – I mean, the line deserves credit. There were obviously holes open, but, you know, his individual talent just continues to stand out. And this is against, you know, a team that had allowed – was second in the nation in scoring defense, and they had, uh, they had it allowed only three rushing touchdowns all season. He goes for five. I mean, I don't – you know, I wrote earlier. I don't think there you, there's any way you can overstate the difference he's made for the for that program this year. From one of the you know from a rushing offense that basically had didn't exist last year to now you got a Heisman candidate in the backfield. I mean he's shit. He's good. I mean <laughs> he's I don't know what to say. He's really, you know I mean Mel's at it after the game. I don't I don't know what what there's left to say. I mean he's just he's just a really damn good football player. Yeah. Everyone talks about Heisman moments, you know, and I don't, I don't know how much that actually matters with voters or maybe it does because you get, you know, you got like Johnny Menzel running all over the place against Alabama or, you know, Desmond Howard striking the pose or, you know, you, you, there's, you can go down the line of people who have won the Heisman trophy through the years and they all seem to have these standout moments in big games. And I mean, Kenneth Walker, they've got some tough games left this year. They're going to be in the spotlight coming down the stretch. But um, I mean, that was a pretty good, if anybody had doubts that he was legitimate contender for that award, I mean, they were erased after yesterday. And I mean, the country noticed they, they were watching the game. Kenneth, everyone knows who Kenneth, we had Russell Wilson tweeting about Kenneth Walker for crying out loud. I mean, people are watching these games and it, it doesn't take a genius to see that he is just an exceptionally talented football player. I mean, the guy makes a two yard run. The one when he did the little spin move and ran for two and a half yards, even he makes that look amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, this is, we, we have not, I have obviously not seen this from the running game. Uh, Michigan State since I've been on the beat you can go back to before that with you know guys like Langford you know when the Antonio era earlier but I when you, when you looked at his tape with what he did at Wake Forest you're like all right this guy's pretty good you know you thought coming in they'll get an upgrade in the backfield this guy should start they should be better but nobody I, I don't, nobody honestly could have envisioned this right I mean <laughs> Well, the, the thing they keep saying, though, is like, so you remember the pinstripe bowl when they played Wake Forest, they play that weird scheme, you know, it's like a delayed and then a handoff. Yeah. And, and I've heard several coaches talk about how, you know, we think his skill set fits here better. And, and to me, the, the logical extension of that is the weird thing they do there is not good for him, you know, um, to me. So no. I, I, I think credit for them to seeing a talented guy in a bad spot for him schematically. And if, and if you've read about Kenneth Walker's history, I mean, he wasn't a recruit. He basically went the only place that would take him. So I don't think he had the luxury in high school of picking the best spot for him. So I think he's a guy who got stuck in a bad uh, system for him um, and credit to Michigan state for recognizing that and seeing it and realizing that he would fit great in their system and making it work great for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember forget covering stride ball. I remember covering the I, I remember covering that game and I didn't remember what Walker did in that game. But yeah. you know, and he didn't do much. But like, yeah, well, like Kyle said their offense, it is such a delayed mesh point. It's like this drag out, and then you know, it's it 
for him, just, just give him the ball and, and let him use his vision and his talent to, to find, you know, where, where to go. And I mean, obviously it works and well, you know, Wake, Wake Forest is undefeated too. So yeah, I was going to say, let's not rip on Wake Forest too much. Apparently I mean, it's working down there. And Christian Beal Smith is a good running back. He was splitting time with Kenneth Walker last year. And yeah. I mean, I, I guess it works for them. We'll just say that. But yeah, well, uh, it's just to think a guy that had started zero games at Wake Forest is now a top three guy for the Heisman. That's just insanity. If, if we're going to talk about other highlights, I mean, everyone's talking about Kenneth Walker and rightfully so, but Jaden Reed, man, this kid is electric as well in his own right. And I think he made some of the biggest plays in the game, particularly after Michigan state goes down 30 to 14. Uh, he has the catch, the catch along the sideline, which got reviewed. Then he has the catch along the sideline, which got reviewed. <laughs> and then he has the two point conversion, you know, throw it up, make a play. Um, I mean, Kenneth Walker rightfully so is getting a lot of the, the spotlight here, but Spartans don't win that game without Jaden Reed. Yeah, and I think a lot of credit to, to Peyton Thorne, one for bouncing back from the two first quarter interceptions. One was just a bad throw, which actually ended up serving as like a, a good punt. It was what it would have been. Um, and the second just gets deflected and in the air. But, you know, he came back to make nice throws and a lot of credit to Jay Johnson, uh, what he did with some of those play calls. Um, the fourth and short, um, the, the throw to Naylor, great play. You know, I mean, you get, you know, it was um, – it was fake play action or play action look, read on a jet sweep look, and then Naylor comes off blocking just like he's gonna block for a run and just releases and he's open. And then fourth and four when they absolutely need to have it, uh, Thorne puts the ball on the money to Jaden Reed. Great catch. Um, the the second two point conversion, the one where they put what three or four guys out on one side of the field and just say basically. We got our guy on one-on-one on this side, and we, we think he's better than your guy, and we're just going to throw it to him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, a lot of good stuff from Reed. Um, good bounce back from, from Thorne. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean was, this the, was it the most points that Michigan State's ever scored against Michigan in regulation, something like that? So Really? Um, I did not know I think that. I saw that in a, in a, in a game note. Um, but, yeah, yeah. I held a performance by them. The, you know, what it looked – I mean, let's be honest, third quarter, mid late third quarter, it looked like Michigan was one play away from putting the game away. The, the, that, 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 was that, that was my biggest takeaway of this. Like, how many points in the game do you feel like Michigan State was like, they need this play or they're done? Like, I feel like it was like five, five different times and it worked for them every single time, you know, um, whether it's the fourth down that you talked about was the biggest one. Like, you're not done with the game, but like you miss either of those two point conversions, you're in a pretty bad spot. Um, and, um, and, and even like, like, it's not a play that they made, but, um, if they give Michigan state or they give Michigan that fumble, um, Mm -hmm. in the end zone and touchdown, then you're in a really bad spot too. Um, the, maybe the ultimate Mark D'Antonio game of inches there. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, Michigan, I I would just, am very impressed given all that, just how unfazed Michigan state seemed through all of it. You know, I think maybe, you know, anybody that covers the team or listens to Mel Tucker talk a lot has heard a lot about uh, neutral thinking to the point where I think some of us kind of roll our eyes at it or glaze over at it. But um, to me, that that's why you talk about it all year long. And that's why you emphasize it for moments like that. When your team gets down 16 in the third quarter to a top 10 team and they just go out there and just keep making plays, uh, keep chopping, um, you know, it's like, it's like, you can make fun of it. You can think it's corny. You can think whatever, but like the stuff that they've been talking about is like the stuff that happened out there on the field on Saturday. It's corny, but if it works, then right. you're a genius. I mean, like you can come up with all the 
you know, expressions and sayings you want, but if players buy into what you're selling and you get the results on the field, I mean, you look like a genius. There's a reason why Mel is, should be the hands down favorite for national coach of the year right now. And a reason why they're, you know, LSU is reportedly interested in him. I mean, there he's, he's 15 games into what looked like it could be, you know, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a slower rebuild and they're in the top five. So. It's crazy. It's crazy the, the the how quickly Michigan State has gotten back into the national conversation. And I mean, like I saw like the bear who's public enemy number one, according to state fans right now, but he's tweeting out, you know, like chances that Michigan State has to win games and the wins they've had this year. And they're like in the single digits and win probability multiple times and they pulled it out. And, you know, you could say it's lucky. And I've seen people use that against Michigan State. But when it starts to become a pattern, I mean, that's just, to me, a sign of a good team because they're finding ways to get it done no matter what the situation is. So, um, I mean, it's hard to say that, that that keep chopping mindset hasn't been working so far. Um, I mean, offensively, you know, I mentioned Andrew Anthony. That was tough to put when they looked like they were going to lose. I thought that was just going to be like the uh, added slap in the face for state fans that, you know, the East Lansing kid who we thought was going to Michigan State for the longest time turns to, you know, flips last second because apparently his dad's a big Michigan guy, you know, six catches for 155 yards, two touchdowns. He's probably going to be a concern for Michigan State fans for a few years down the road. Um, and then defensively, I mean, Charles Brantley makes the big play uh, at the end there. Um, he wasn't in the game much in the first half, at least not that I noticed, uh, or maybe you, maybe he was, but I saw more Kimbrough um in the in the in the first half but he was making plays all over the place in the second half whether it was flying off the corner and tripping people up and then obviously the the uh interception at the end but it was fun to see him and Andrew Anthony the two freshmen go head to head uh in a big game like this Matt's going the notebook here yeah I track I track personnel on the field every every time to start a drive off memory I don't think uh Brantley came into the second half but, yeah. you know, as you noted, yeah, he was right in there. I think first play on the field, I don't think it was a TFL, but he was almost in the backfield making a play. And then you talk about the interception. I mean, that was, and that was coming off. Uh, looks like I, I, maybe I missed it from the notebook, but late third quarter, I think maybe that's when I noticed he it. came in. Um, yep. But, you know, that, that, you know, Drew Jordan got the uh, personal foul roughing the pass or whatever it was. And there's still, there was time on the clock. They could have moved the ball down the field and, you know, obviously Michigan was, you know, had some plenty of success through the air and McNamara was pretty good on Saturday, but, um, you know, great individual play by, by Brantley Mel today said he was where he needed, he was supposed to be. He's in between two guys. He bails on the, the guy short to go for the, the deeper route and steps in front of the tight end, makes a great one-handed interception. I mean, you look at Anthony, can you imagine a better way for him to make his first career reception when it's a 93 yard score? Uh, against uh, Michigan State in his homecoming. And then Brantley, what better way can you make your first interception, a one-handed, leaping, game-sealing pick uh, against Michigan? So, um, yeah, I think we, we've, we knew back in fall camp that, that Brantley was going was to get a chance, as Mel said, uh, during practice while doing uh, working with CBs, we need to give Chuck a chance. Um, we saw him at times, and he faded a little bit from the rotation, now back, and, you know, plays like that will – we'll get him more opportunities. You know, he's still young. He's still a true freshman, still, you know, not the biggest frame guy, uh, but you know, there's obviously talent there. So big moment for him. 
With Gervin transferring to Wisconsin, though, it's I think his emergence has been pretty big because, you know, we talked about the two transfer corners, but to just have that third guy that you can at least trust to put out there is four is pretty big. Four, who's the fourth? Well, third is the third is really Lowry. So I think the writing on the oh, yeah, wall, he was I, in there I, too. Yeah. I would just guess the writing on the wall for, for Gervin was that, you know, when he didn't get any playing time on defense against uh, Nebraska, I believe. Um, and then yeah. I think Lowry was coming back from injury and we saw, you know, Lowry, it basically it's Williams, Kimbrough or one and two, however you want to arrange that uh, Lowry um, is three and then Brantley's four, but you know, they can mix that up. We saw more Brantley, I believe in the second half against Miami than we saw of uh, maybe a couple, one of Williams or Kimbrough, one of the two, I can't remember, but um, well, Brantley got yeah. ejected for targeting against Miami, didn't he? No, I thought that got overturned, didn't it? I thought it was the other one that got nice. overturned on Gross. I can't. I, there's too many to – I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> Targeting, I, maybe I, okay, I, I, yeah, maybe I wrote it. I don't remember. We'll see. I, I, uh, it doesn't matter. That was a long time ago. I just like – I'm glad we didn't have any targeting there, really. They called the one phantom one that they picked up, thank God, because that was brutal. But I'm glad we didn't have targeting that played a factor. Michigan fans are all up in arms, you know, complaining about the refereeing in the game. We don't need to get into that. This is a Michigan State podcast, and I hate that. I hate that. We're all guilty. I'm guilty of it, I'm sure. Blaming the refs. I still blame the refs up for, you know, Notre Dame's win against Michigan State in 2013. But, like, you know, it's that's just such a lazy response to a loss. Like, you blew a 16-point lead and let a running back give up five touchdowns. We don't need to be complaining about the refs. Just take the L. Um, but, you know, anything – I mean, from the Michigan side, I was real impressed with Cade McNamara. You briefly mentioned him there. Uh, he made some great throws under pressure. I had been saying all week I thought J.J. McCarthy was going to make an impact in the game uh, one way or another, good or bad. Uh, that ended up being the case. We saw the good and the bad, I guess. He threw the touchdown, uh, the second one to Andrew Anthony, but then you know almost turns it over when he's running, just kind of drops the ball, and then the costly fumble on the exchange, which really gave Michigan State a chance to win the game. So uh, a mixed bag from the freshman. Michigan fans aren't really too happy with him having – uh, bringing in McCarthy, but that's what they've been doing all season. So I don't really know why they would be a surprise. But, to, to me, to me, that was like exhibit one. It seems like everywhere it's like fans are clamoring for the hot shot freshman quarterback to go in there. And why isn't the coach playing him? Like that's exhibit one. Why coaches don't do that a lot of times because freshmen make a lot more mistakes like that. Um, so mm-hmm. that was my yeah, the the indication was well the first one where he, he fumbled and then uh, Ronald Williams kind of kicked it out of bounds trying to pick it up. Um, but the second fumble. Uh, I thought Harbaugh said he was unavailable at that time because McNamara was getting checked out for injury. But yeah, I mean, as far as McNamara, I mean, well, that, that had to be the best performance of his career, right? I mean, I thought he was yeah. really good. I mean, Michigan State's guys, uh, Cal Halliday and, and um, Xavier Henderson after the game were, were saying basically, yeah, they threw the ball more than we thought they would. So uh, we were gearing up for uh, for the run and, and and they were passing and Xavier said one of the one of the routes they had was, was something they hadn't shown a lot and given success. So actually this leads into a question I got, um, you want to read it off? Read it? Me too. Yeah, go for I it. I can read it. All right. Uh, do you think Michigan state's ability to get to the quarterback Saturday was more related to being outperformed, uh, by the O-line or was it rel- related to the scheme in terms of limiting the run? I think it was more, it was a combination of, of a couple of things. One, Michigan State was geared up to stop the run. Two, Michigan has a pretty good offensive line in the first place and doesn't give up a lot of sacks. So, yeah, but the, the lack of pressure on Michigan State side definitely stood out. And um, Michigan's pressure definitely stood out. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's a real deal. Um, 
David Ajabo, um, they, they gave the, the left side of Michigan State's line a lot of problems on Saturday, as everybody saw. Um, first, Jarrett Horst. And then when Luke Campbell comes in, he's immediately picked on, he, you know, he gets beat. And then you have that strip sack. And yeah, I mean, uh, those, that, those two are really good players. So, you know, that's a concern. And, and then for Michigan State, you know, it was, you know, first game of the season, they didn't get a sack. And then I think they had, they had had multiple sacks in every game through the first seven. We're one of the best teams in the country generating pressure. And they just, just didn't get home on Saturday. I think, but the first time Caden McNamara got hit was walk on defensive back, Justin White making, coming on that blitz. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was a great call coming out of a timeout. Yeah. Did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't guess that. Did, did it seem like they blitzed a little bit less than usual too, though, Matt? I don't know. Trying, I, I don't, I don't track stuff, back. but it seemed anecdotally like maybe, a, maybe a little more four man rushers than, than normal. Yeah. Right? That's, but, that's kind of what it felt like without going back and watching specifically for that. But, um, I mean, the you know, tight end had 10 catches for 98 yards oh, yeah, Eric in the first half. So <laughs> like, I think that was like more does bend on break or whatever. I don't know. The linebackers are just dropping back and letting him catch passes in front of them. And then, I mean, that was killing him in the first half. So yeah. maybe they should have been yeah. bringing more pressure. I don't know. <laughs> um. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Blake Corum, 13 for 45. Hassan Haskins, 14 for 59. We knew Michigan wanted to run the ball coming in. Everyone knew that. That was no surprise. And Cade McNamara responds with, you know, 383 yards passing, a couple touchdowns. True freshman is making plays out there. So I think that's, you know, if you want to look big picture uh, about this game is I don't think either team really played poorly. I mean, it was, it was two teams playing well battling in the game i mean it isn't like this was some like ugly slop fest for america to watch i mean it was just a well-played game and even michigan in a loss i've seen you know i think they're still a very quality team they still can do a lot with their season and nobody's really seems to be harping on michigan or downgrading them like this was some dominating win by michigan state i think it was just two teams going at each other and one team came out on top and uh, i mean if you're looking at that from in terms of comparing these teams against the rest of the country that's an important thing well i mean yeah, two very good teams. Both played pretty well. Both made mistakes. I mean, again, the game, one bounce one way or the other, and Michigan puts it away probably. But you also give Michigan State credit for holding Michigan to – they made them kick four field goals. Michigan State didn't attempt any. They went, They were more aggressive. Michigan settled for and took points um, instead of being more aggressive. And they, they made the mistakes down the stretch, you know, with uh, the, the fumble and the pick. You know, those were huge. And, yeah, I mean, they just, they, they just kept chopping. I think so. Um, <laughs> and the field yeah, goals, they're kicking field goals yeah, instead of scoring touchdowns. We've, we've seen that same, you know, recipe from Michigan state before they were, they were big in the, the win against Western Kentucky earlier this year, obviously at Indiana, holding them to field goals, you, you know, that's, that's been a difference. So again, the bend, bend, but don't break thing, you know, they were pretty bad and they've been, they've had plenty of struggles getting off the field on third down, including some third and long situations. And that continued on Saturday. Um, but they got stops when they needed to forced, you know, force the field goal tries. And uh, yeah, it was, they did enough. And, and they, there have been just a number of those games this year, three, I would say that, that they've done just enough to win in, in each of the three games look like probably headed for a loss, but they're at eight and no instead of five and three or somewhere in between. So uh, quite impressive. Yeah. And it's, it's just the, it's been remarkable, man. And just an all around great day for football in Michigan, in East Lansing spotlight on them. The, the fans were great. All game students were loud. Uh, Spartan stadium was jumping. It was just a great atmosphere for football. Um, and I'm glad that the whole country got to see it because it uh, really shined a spotlight 
uh, on both programs, really, but especially from a Michigan State standpoint with a lot of recruits in the building uh, and the eyes on Mel Tucker to make a statement and really say, like, we're back, we're here for Michigan State. Um, they get the job done. And that's, you know, that was huge. So uh, an all around great day to, for every football fan in Michigan, really. Uh, just to just to see it. And if you're a state fan, you obviously liked it a little bit more, but uh, it was just fun, man. It was fun to see. So um, we'll move, we'll be talking about uh, Purdue here in a second. But Kyle, I mean, just briefly, because, you know, we're both basketball junkies and the basketball season is coming. Uh, Michigan State basketball did take down Ferris State uh, last week in their first exhibition. They've got their second one against Grand Valley coming up this week. Um, but just give me a few quick takeaways on the basketball team, because uh, it was really our first look at uh, this new and improved, I would say, version of the Michigan State basketball team. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote a couple up on, on M Live here after the game, so I'll go through these. Um, uh, first is, you know, you know what, what I'm looking for in these exhibition games. You know, who, who's in the rotation? Who seems to be out of the rotation? They play a lot of guys, but you can tell by how they sub initially. You know, kind of where things stand and. You know, I think they're at nine right now as far as guys that are going to see regular minutes here when the season starts. Um, you know, they started Tyson Walker, uh, point guard, um, Max Christie, Gabe Brown, Joey Hauser, and Marcus Bingham. No real surprises there. I mean, maybe Hauser overhauled to some people, but I think that was expected. And then, you know, three to me, their four, their four subs right now are uh, point guard A.J. Hogard. Um, Malik Hall, who we obviously mentioned, um, need a second center. That's Julius Marble right now. Um, and then to me, kind of the wild card guy, I think Jay Nakins has played his way into this rotation. Uh, I don't think when he got there that they expected him. I think they expected him to be out of it this year. Um, but he has had a really good offseason. I think he's just one of these guys that has played so well that they can't not play him. So um, I, I think we're going to see him. I think fans are going to like him too. Um, but that, that's kind of my first takeaway is that seems to be the nine right now. And, and that would leave Midas Soko on the outside um, and Peter Brooks probably on the outside. But we'll see how that that plays out. Um, so that was number one, you know, in terms of individual guys, uh, I start with Max Christie. Um, he really impressed me. Uh, I think we're second in points to Gabe Brown, but, um, you know, really showed himself to be versatile. Um, they're playing Ferris, so take it for what it's worth, but really banging down there, getting rebounds, um, getting to the hoop, playing more physical, which, which is what we talked about. I mean, the knock on him, if there's, not any huge knocks on a five-star, but if there was one on him, it's that he was thin and maybe not strong enough and maybe wouldn't be able to play defense. Um, but he, he really went to work in the offseason, addressed that. And, um, you know, based on what Tom Izzo and coaches are saying, um, it sounds like he's a guy that's physically going to be ready um, and a great shooter, um, gets out in the fast break, uh, does a lot of different things. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do predictions on Monday for M live, but you know, I'm to the point where I'm ready to call him the leading score for this upcoming season. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Gabe Brown will take that and cram it down my throat. Like he does a defender. He's dunking over, but, um, <laughs> uh, the, you know, the talent, you know, he's a mature kid. He's smart. He knows hoops. Um, just been really impressed by him. And, and I have not heard Tom Izzo at this point, talk about an incoming freshman, uh, like he has Max Christie, just nothing but praise, um, unsolicited, um, and it's really kind of standing out. So that was number two. Um, and then, you know, number three, I think the most watched thing is probably the point guard. Um, and as, as far as the job and um, Tyson Walker gets that, I know some people were probably uh, probably the more popular choice, um, you know, for people to in there. But A.J. Howard did play a lot. 
Um, but I think Tyson Walker is going to be the main guy, uh, you know, one a, um, and then one B for, for Hogarth. And he, you know, he didn't look out of place, made a couple mistakes and some turnovers, but, um, you know, you can just see the difference when they're in the fast break and when the half court passes are making the right pass passes are coming a lot quicker. Guys aren't waiting around for the ball. There's a lot better movement. Um, didn't even shoot. So we didn't even really get to see him shoot, but just the way he ran that offense, um, there was some concern about whether he fast breaks well, but he looked fine to me. So um, he looked, yeah. And, and he looked good. And, you know, I, I know, I'll be curious to see how that minutes because I think they want to be pretty much even right now, you know, Hogard, I, I still just wonder about the shooting, you know, he, he chucked up an air ball there against Ferris and it is kind of a reminder that, you know, that was just a liability for him. Um, so, um, how, how much minutes he's going to be able to play Does Tyson Walker end up kind of taking hold of that job, uh, wouldn't surprise, wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me as the season goes on. So, you know, it's one exhibition against the D2. We'll see him again, um, here and get a better sense, but that those were kind of my biggest takeaways from that one. Yeah, Tyson Walker is quick, man. He gets up and down the floor real fast. He looks like he's very comfortable running the break and the fast break, which was basically non-existent last year. And that's uh-huh. been a hallmark of Tom Izzo's teams through the years. So it'd be good to see that going because Gabe Brown is just lethal in transition, right? Either whether it's running the lanes to dunk mm-hmm. on everyone or facing up in the corner for three. Joey Hauser, we saw him make a couple threes off the, the pick and roll, which is another big yeah. key of the offense that was missing last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that improved point guard play, I would expect Tyson Walker to be the clear starter throughout the year. Max Christie, I totally agree nobody's got him on preseason big 10 team. Yeah, I'm surprised. And I do not understand that for a second. Like I, I get the sense from the national people when it comes to the basketball team is they're all kind of taking a wait and see approach because we've talked about it. There's a lot of unknown with this team, a lot of newcomers. We don't know how it's all going to gel. Aaron Henry's gone. So I think a lot of them are just kind of like, well, we know Michigan state has talent, but we don't know how it's going to come together. And we don't know who the alphas are. So I think they're just kind of taking a wait and see approach, but to me, Tyson Walker, Max Christie, Gabe Brown, all three deserve consideration for potential all-league players. And, I mean, we've talked about it. Michigan State somehow sliding under the radar this year in the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just surprised that there's not a little more buzz around this team. I mean, I know it was Ferris, but they're going to be in a lot of big spots early in the season, beginning with Kansas. Um, so maybe, you know, if they, if they turn some heads then, there'll be a little bit more chatter for the Spartans. This is kind of where I'm at with them right now. Like, I understand the pessimistic view of them because of what they were last year. And like, they don't have like a dude right now. And maybe Matt Christie will be a dude, but like the pes- they got a bunch of 80, 86 is 84, right. 86, like at <laughs> right. ratings on the team. But, but you'll see teams <laughs> where that, where that's a problem, you know, yeah. um, and that becomes an issue. And, and Tom, I asked Israel about that. He doesn't seem concerned, but like, that's the pessimist view is like, they have a bunch of pretty good players, but sometimes teams with a bunch of pretty good players, don't really go anywhere. Um, but to me, to me, the optimistic view is this is a team last year that had point guard issues in the way that time is a runs his program that point guard issues are a big deal if you don't have a good one. And a lot of their issues kind of flowed down from that, whether it's the shooting, the fast break, a, a whole lot of different things, not to put it all on rocket Watts or anybody who's not here, but I think a lot of issues had their root in the point guard issues. So if, if you can get that figured out, I think a lot of other things could work themselves out and Michigan state could be pretty vastly improved by just kind of solving um, it's kind of underlying issue there. So that's the optimist view. And I, I can, I can see arguments for both of those. And I guess, I guess we'll find out here in a, a week or so uh, which one it is. 
Uh, we're running short on time, so we can talk about this later, but I'm still a little concerned about center, Kyle. Uh, Marcus yes. Bingham would have liked to have seen more from him. And Lil, Lil Izzo's got to shoot. <laughs> well, well yes, yes, Tom was upset about that. Yeah, we'll do – I mean, we'll, we can do a whole season preview next year. But, yes, that to me, center is clearly the weak link, weak link on this team right now. Uh, yeah, Doc, you could tell Tom wanted Steven to shoot. Yeah. It was hilarious. Um, all right, so we're running short on time here. So just a quick Purdue look at Purdue. Michigan State's on the road. It's a 3.30 game. I believe it's on the ABC. Uh, Purdue's coached by Jeff Brom in his fifth season. He's got a 24-28 record. They're 5-3, and three, wins over Oregon State, which is a win that continues to look better. Uh, UConn, Illinois, Iowa, Nebraska, losses to Notre Dame, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Michigan State leads the all-time series 36-28-3. They're actually on an eight-game winning streak in the series. Last meeting was a 23-13 win for the Spartans in 2018. Spartans haven't played in West Lafayette since 2014. That was a game I was at. Uh, they won 45-31. Uh, if I remember correctly, Purdue was wearing those weird neon, uni- neon uniforms that they like to wear sometimes, which I don't really understand. But uh, Michigan State's a three-point favorite. The over-under is 52 and a half. Uh, Purdue, I mean, they generally like to chuck the ball. Jack Plummer started the season as their starting quarterback. Aiden O'Connell has since taken over, um, and they've got two legitimate weapons at wide receiver. And David Bell, who's one of the best receivers in the country, he's got 53 catches, 786 yards. Payne Durham is a threat at tight end, 36 catches for 356 yards. And Milton Wright at receiver, 32 for 315. Um, So they've got three legitimate weapons in the passing game, Matt. And, I mean, we've said it all year, Michigan State, while they seem to give up yards every single game, they often crack down in the red zone and they've had timely turnovers, especially from the secondary. Um, so, you know, I, I would, we would expect Purdue to throw the ball. That's usually what they do. So on paper, this could be not the greatest matchup for Michigan state. However, I don't really be, see them being able to stop Kenneth Walker either. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because Jeff Brom, you know, he's an offensive guy, but you, you look at the numbers and they're a better defensive team than offensive team, you know, 17th in total defense, uh, tied for 10th in passing yards allowed, uh, was tied for 10th in scoring defense. That's kind of not what you expect out of a traditional Purdue team. But, yeah, they do have – and I think it's worth pointing out, like you mentioned, you know, uh, David Bell and George Karloftis, you know, you get a great wide receiver, a very good defensive end. You know, those are two spots that can give Michigan State trouble, obviously, as we saw, you know, we've seen the season, at, you know, with some of the corner play, and and we saw on Saturday with, with you know, a good – a very good edge rusher can do. So – that stands out. Um, and, and I don't know, Purdue is just a, kind of a weird team this year. You know, when you, you look at what they've done, it's like, all right, lose to Notre Dame. You get by Illinois, you lose to Minnesota, the, the win at Iowa. I still haven't you know, figured that out. And you get, you know, thumped by Wisconsin. You, you go win at Nebraska. It's kind of, it's kind of a little all over the place, but um, we had Mel's Mel had his presser earlier today and he came very prepared with a, uh, <laughs> with a list of Purdue's success in beating uh, ranked opponents uh, previously. So he was quick to point out they have the 16 wins over top five teams when they are unranked the most in the nation. And then Mel proceeded to read off all these previous times, like score and year. And he's going back to the fifties and got a little <laughs> animated there for a minute, but so yeah, I mean, everybody, like Mel said, you know, I've, I've people reaching out to me saying, "Oh, you know, the trap game, this and that," and I, I don't, I just don't understand what they're talking about. I don't, that doesn't factor for me. And you know, it makes sense for him. You know, sometimes you get the number if it's Alabama, you know, one of those SEC things where you're playing an FB, uh, you know, an FCS opponent. In, in late don't in the overlook season. Mercer. Yeah, don't <laughs> overlook them. We're gonna win by 140. 
but no, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no reason Michigan state should be looking anywhere into the future. This is a game they, they easily could lose all four games left in the regular season. They could lose. So Mel's certainly right in, you know, hammering the focus and, um, you know, he was talking about how today, how he has zero tolerance for complacency. And if, if he sees it, you're not getting on the bus to go to the airport to go to Purdue. So uh, I sure, I'm sure there's some more colorful words to back that up on the practice field. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I, I would imagine they'll be doing everything in their power to hammer home the fact, the fact that this is a game that they, they cannot overlook. I've been, I was saying all week, like I could envision a scenario where Michigan State gets a massive win against Michigan and then loses to Purdue on the road. I think when we did our season, our game by game predictions uh, at the beginning of the year, I threw this in as a loss. It's like a game that they, you know, I've obviously changed my tune picking them every game so far, but like, you know, like I, I think I threw this out there as a game that looked like a tricky game, even then. And now, even though they're, you know, top five in the, in the rankings, I'm still really, really nervous about this game because, you know, we saw Purdue against Ohio state a couple years ago. We saw, you know, we've, they beat Iowa already this year. We've just seen them rise up and beat teams. And I think that's because they have a capable offense that can usually move the ball, even though the numbers maybe don't say that they're as, you know, great as as an offensive team this year. Uh, It's definitely a game that they're going to Spartans are going to need to come and play. Um, I mean, I, you know, Mel's been doing, seems to be doing a pretty good job, you know, keeping them focused week to week. Um, you know, we saw them beat Rutgers in Indiana on in the lead up to the Michigan game. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a challenging uh, road test, but I think it'll be something that the Spartans. I'm not going to pick against them on this show. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly scared of this game, though. I really am. Like, I, I think this is a tough spot. You got to avoid the letdown. Yeah, I mean, um, look, look at what happened last year after they won at Michigan. You know, they got on the road to to an Iowa team that was struggling. Um, and they get absolutely just housed. I mean, the game was over halftime or whatever. It was not not even competitive. So, and you can go back and find a history of it, you know, letdown games and ninety nine uh, Purdue. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't, it, it again. This is you know, this is a quality. This is a, an opponent that can beat them. So they, you know, and Michigan State has stuff to clean up. Obviously, that you know, some recurring things. Um, although, you know, I was surprised with you know, I thought offensively they. They were more consistent offensively against Michigan than I would have anticipated. I think um, you, you thought going into that maybe Michigan could slow them down for for maybe large chunks. And really, if you take away some of the holding calls, <laughs> um, some of the drive killing stuff, you know, uh, it, it really wasn't the case. But you know, two back to back games of two interceptions for Thorne—that's something that they're gonna they'll have to be concerned about against uh, what is a pretty good passing defense. I think they picked off uh, Martinez what four times last week. So yeah, I was watching the highlights. Yeah. They were um, they were buzzing. Um, so yeah, we got to get out of here. We're running long, so um, we'll save the predictions this week. I just think that it's it's a game that you really need to Michigan State needs to pay attention to. College football playoff rankings are coming out Tuesday. You think Michigan State's in the top four? No, no, you don't. I think I think yes. You think I they're think in the so top too. four? Huh? Yeah, I think I they're in the top they will four. Be too. Okay, I would I would have guessed five. And, and five come from there. I think they have to put them in. If you're talking about college football playoff right now, I think they have to put them ahead of Ohio State. They should, they, should, they should be ahead of Oklahoma too, man. I'm, I'm yeah. kidding. They're fraud. <laughs> I, 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 I can see – I can definitely see Oklahoma as being a team that's a little overrated. Um, but I don't know. I just – and first of all, the rankings tomorrow don't 
matter. You know, it's about nothing ever matters except the final ones, you know, not to keep hammering that stupid point home, but I know I just think that, that they'll put Ohio state ahead of them and maybe in probably Oklahoma as well. I just think one of those, you know, the win against Michigan, if you're looking at pure resume, I mean, I don't know that Oklahoma has a better win on their resume than Michigan state does against Michigan. So I think if they're actually looking at the resume so far this year, Michigan state should be in the top four. So uh, we'll find out like, yeah, we'll find out on Tuesday or tomorrow night. So uh, that's going to do it. We got to get out of here. We're running long. Uh, Appreciate everyone for listening today. If you could please give us a a rating and review. Um, We've heard, yes, the audio issues we're working on it. We're not professionals here. Uh, So hopefully it was better today, but um, uh, yeah, we're, we hear you. Um, and we appreciate the feedback, positive or negative. We really do appreciate you for listening. Um, and yeah, hit us up if you have questions. And um, yeah, check out our work at MLive.com slash Spartans. Uh, we will have plenty of stories uh, coming out leading up to the Purdue game, which every, they're all big from here on out. If Michigan State fancies itself as a legitimate college football playoff contender, we'll be there tracking it all the way. And obviously Michigan State basketball uh, getting ready to get into gear here too. So it'll be the busiest time of the season uh, for us three. So for Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you once again for listening to MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Go Green!